Leviticus chapter 16, verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. 2. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he may come not at all times into the holy place within the veil, before the ark cover which is upon the ark, that he die not, for I appear in the cloud upon the ark cover. God is telling Moses to tell Aaron. This is part of the Levitical law regarding the priests. The high priest can only enter the holy of holies one time in the year. And it has to be under these specific conditions and instructions. This chapter is going to explain to us the instructions for when the high priest enters behind the veil where the Holy of Holies is, where the Ark of the Testimony is. 3. Herewith shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. First he has to present offerings to atone for his own sin and the sin of the people before he can enter. Now remember the Holy of Holies is, it's kind of like God's throne on earth because God is hovering over that mercy seat and he's also outside the tent above it, but his presence is over the mercy seat. The mercy seat is behind the veil. Normally no one would ever see the mercy seat because it's behind the veil most of the time, unless they're packing up camp and moving. For he shall put on the holy linen tunic, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, that's the Bermuda shorts, and shall gird with the linen girdle, and with the linen meter shall he be attired, that's the head bonnet, they are the holy garments, and he shall bathe his flesh in water and put them on. Not included here is the ephod and the breastplate. God just says that First of all, that he takes a bath, and then he puts all of the garments on except for the ephod and the breastplate. 5. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two he-goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. There is a young steer for the sin offering, and I believe that's for Aaron. And then there's a ram for Aaron's burnt offering. And then on behalf of the children of Israel, he has two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. 6. And Aaron shall present the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, so the bigger offering is for the priest himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. A household in ancient times was not only you, but it's also your wife, it's also your kids, and it's also your servants, everybody under your roof. 7. And he shall take the two goats. Now Aaron has to first have his own sin forgiven before he performs the service for the people's sin to be forgiven. Then everybody is, is on a clean slate with God, and then Aaron can approach the Lord. He can't approach the Lord guilty. He has to approach the Lord forgiven. When we go to heaven, we will enter heaven forgiven. We will not enter heaven guilty. Heaven is only a place for the righteous. If we don't get right with God before heaven, we aren't going to enter 7. And he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the door of the tent of meeting. 8. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. Azazel literally means scapegoat. One goat is going to be sacrificed to the Lord and the other goat is going to be the scapegoat. 
In some translations, Azazel is capitalized as if it's a person, and in Jewish tradition, they say that it's the name of a demon. But the significance here is not to glorify a demon. The significance is that it literally means scapegoat, and I think that's a better translation than capitalizing it as a personal name. I think it's more appropriate to just translate it as scapegoat, because that's what God is saying. Casting lots is like drawing straws. They don't know which goat is going to be the scapegoat and which goat is going to be sacrificed, but God decides. 9. And Aaron shall present the goat upon which the lot fell for the Lord and offer him for his sin offering. That goat becomes an offering. 10. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be set alive before the Lord to make atonement over him to send him away for Azazel into the wilderness. The goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be set into the wilderness. One goat is ostracized from the community and from the other goats. It's sent out in the wilderness by itself. And it's up to God if that goat lives or dies. It'll probably live, I would think. But it has to be set out alone. We remember that Jesus went into the desert up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and fasted. And of course, when the goat first gets sent out in the wilderness, it's going to be fasting because it'll take a long time for it to find food and water. So initially, the first few days, it may not have hardly anything to eat. And when Jesus was sent out, he was sent out fasting. And then who tempted him? Satan. Jesus had his wilderness experience. And a wilderness experience is a time where God tests your faith. The father was testing the son for 40 days. And the son passed the test. He remained faithful. He didn't give in to any of the temptation that Satan brought his way. 11. And Aaron shall present the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. It's interesting that he's performing the service for his own sin, but he is the high priest. There's priests, but there's only one high priest at a time, just like there's only one king in a land. You'll notice that God's law does not allow for a king. Israel later had kings, but it was because they asked God for a king. What God wanted them to have all along was a priest, not a king. And when Jesus came, when he was born on earth and he grew up and had his ministry, he ministered as a priest, not a king. The disciples following him wanted him to be king, but he didn't want to be king. He wanted to be their high priest. Now Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords, but his higher office is priest, high priest. 12. And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small, and bring it within the veil. He's going to bring in from the perfume table, perfume, fine spices in that censer. He's going to take it behind the veil. 13. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the ark cover that is upon the testimony, that he die not. This is resembling God's glory. The high priest has to honor God's glory by causing this incense. Now, atheists would say, oh, this is smoke and mirrors. This is just where the priest is pretending that God is there. But the reality is, if Aaron doesn't follow these laws precisely, he'll die. We've already seen that happen with his two oldest sons. It's not smoke and mirrors. God really is there. 14. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the ark cover on the east. And before the ark cover shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. When you're facing where the ark is, you're facing west. So east is toward you. 
when God says he shall put the blood of the bullock on the east side of the ark, that means the side of the ark that's closest to Aaron. 15. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with his blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the ark cover and before the ark cover. This is the one time in the year where blood actually gets sprinkled on that pure gold covering of the ark. It's one of the few things in the tabernacle that's solid gold. The sides and the bottom of the ark are made of acacia wood inlaid with gold, but the top of the ark is solid gold. And this is ultimately how the whole tribe of Israel gets atoned for their sins at once, is when the blood is sprinkled here. It's a long story, but we'll get we'll get to it because we're going to read in the book of Jeremiah how during his time, Israel was exiled and the Babylonian king came. And during Jeremiah's time, the Babylonian king came and robbed the temple and took a lot of the golden things out of the temple. And he would have certainly wanted to take the Ark of the Covenant. But Jeremiah hid the Ark of the Covenant in a cave with a few other items. And that cave just so happened to be beneath the rock, Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified. There's an amateur archaeologist. He's not alive anymore, but his name was Ron Wyatt. And the Lord revealed to him that when Jesus was crucified, his blood went down the cross and into a crevice in the rock below the cross and dripped down into that cave where the Ark of the Testimony was hidden and fell onto the Ark of the Testimony. I can't prove that, but I do believe Ron Wyatt's story because it makes perfect sense with the rest of the Bible. It makes perfect sense with the book of Jeremiah, and it makes perfect sense with how the atonement for sin was made in the Old Testament. The blood always had to go on the Ark of the Covenant. When Jesus died, it makes sense that the blood did have to go on the Ark of the Covenant. 16. And he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions, even all their sins. And so shall he do for the tent of meeting that dwelleth with them in the midst of their uncleanness. Sin that makes us unclean in the spirit realm. When we're forgiven and Jesus cleanses us of the demons that were plaguing our life, then we're clean. 17. And there shall be no man in the tent of meeting when he goeth in to make atonement in the holy place until he come out and have made atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assembly of Israel. Every single day the priests had to put out the showbread, they had to light the candle. There may have been more than one priest in there. You know, I'm sure there wouldn't be more than two because it's a solemn, holy place. But maybe sometimes there was two priests in there, one helping the other. But on this day, the Day of Atonement, which is once a year, only the high priest can enter the tabernacle. No one else can even be in the building. And when the high priest goes behind the veil, no one else is anywhere in the building. This represents Jesus communing with God because the high priest represents Jesus. It represents that the Father and the Son are one. 18. And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take of the blood of the bullock and of the blood of the goat and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. Now he's anointing the altar that's out in the courtyard. He has to be going back and forth inside and outside the tabernacle to do all this because he isn't going to slay any of these animals in the tabernacle. They're all getting slain in the courtyard and then he's bringing the blood that was dripped into the bowl into the tabernacle behind the veil. 
to sprinkle it on the Ark of the Testimony. He's going inside and outside by himself, and people would certainly be watching him. 19, and he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger seven times, and cleanse it and hollow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. 20, and when he hath made an end of the anointing for the holy place, and the tent of meeting, and the altar, he shall present the live goat. In the New Testament, when Zacharias was told by the angel Gabriel that his barren wife was going to finally have a child, and her child was going to be John the Baptist, and he would be full of the Holy Spirit, Zacharias did not believe the angel initially. He asked for a sign to prove that what the angel was saying was true, and the angel got mad at him for not believing God's word without a sign. So the angel made him unable to speak until John the Baptist was born. But the reason I bring this up is because this happened on the Day of Atonement, the one day in the year when the high priest was allowed to enter behind the veil that separated him from the Ark of the Testimony. This happened when Zacharias was the high priest. He was all alone and he went into the temple and he went behind the veil and that was where he saw this angel and the angel told him that John the Baptist was going to be born. And the people were really worried because he didn't come out for a long time and they knew he was a righteous man. So it would be really crazy for him to do something that would cause God to heal him. But they were actually worried that he was dead because the only explanation they could think of for him not coming out would be that he was struck dead for doing something wrong. And that was what all the commotion was going on outside the tabernacle because he was taken forever to come out and they were really worried. And you can read about that in the New Testament. 21, and Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions, even all their sins. And he shall put them upon the head of the goat and he shall send them away by the hand of an appointed man into the wilderness. If you're a leader of a country, you have a pretty good idea of the sins of your nation. And that's what the high priest is supposed to do. He's supposed to confess the sins of the nation of Israel. 22. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land which is cut off, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. The man is appointed to carry the goat out by itself and then let it loose and don't bring it back to the camp, make it wander by itself. And this is a mystery because the people never know, and we, the readers of the Bible, never know if that goat is going to survive. The Bible doesn't tell us if it's going to survive, but it is carrying the sins of Israel with it. Jesus carried our sins away on his own shoulders to the cross, and then Jesus died for us. He was a sacrifice. The goat that dies represents Jesus on the cross, and the goat that is sent into the wilderness represents Jesus carrying our burdens and our blame. 23. And Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting, and shall put off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. Because these are holy garments. He can't just take them home. These garments are holy and they're sanctified and they're not going to be defiled. He takes them off, leaves them there, and then he puts his civilian clothes on. 24, and he shall bathe his flesh in water in a holy place and put on his other vestments and come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. When he was bringing the blood behind the veil, the animals hadn't been offered on the altar yet. They were just killed by having the jugular veins slit and the blood draining out. So the animals were dead, but they weren't slaughtered yet. 25. And the fat of the sin offering shall he make smoke upon the altar. 26. And he that letteth go the goat for Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. 
God gets all the fat because that's the most precious part of the offering. God gets the best part. When we give an offering to God, we always give him our best. We don't give him our leftover dregs. Otherwise, it's not sincere devotion and it's not sincere trust. The reason we give God our best is because we trust him to provide at all times. Even when we've given him everything, we still trust him to provide and he will. And then the man who was appointed to lead the goat into the wilderness, when he comes back to camp, he has to wash first, and then he can come into the camp. Because he's been with this goat that was carrying sin, literally. The man has to do a ritual washing to represent that he is cleansed from that sin that he was associated with by being with a goat. 27. And the bullock of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried forth without the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skins and their flesh and their dung, the entire animal. They can't keep the skin for this one. They can't keep it for their own purpose. 28. And he that burneth them shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. 29. And it shall be a statute forever unto you in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month ye shall afflict your souls. Now in some translations it says, ye shall humble yourselves. In this translation it says, ye shall afflict your souls. That literally means, both phrases literally means fasting. They have to fast for a complete 24-hour period. This is one day in a year that's a mandatory fast day. And shall do no manner of work, the homeborn or the stranger that sojourneth among you, even the people from foreign countries who are living with Israel and the servants all have to fast and none of them are allowed to work. And again, we see the kindness of God. He says, you're not allowed to work because you're fasting. You need to rest. I'm not going to make you fast and work at the same time because God is so loving and so kind. 30. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you from all your sins, shall ye be clean before the Lord. 31. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. Notice how it's a Sabbath, but we don't know what day of the week it will fall on. Every year it will fall on a different day because it's the tenth day of the seventh month. 32. And the priest who shall be anointed and who shall be consecrated to be priest in his father's stead shall make the atonement and shall put on the linen garments, even the holy garments. 33. And he shall make atonement for the most holy place, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. 34. And this shall be an everlasting statue unto you to make atonement for the children of Israel because of all their sins once in the year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. The line of the high priest is the same as it would be for a king. It's going to be his firstborn son is going to be the next high priest. And then that man's firstborn son is going to be the next high priest throughout all the generations. Which means that Zacharias was a firstborn son of a firstborn son of a firstborn son of a firstborn son of a firstborn son going all the way back to Aaron, the first high priest. Pretty beautiful, huh? That was John the Baptist's inheritance. John the Baptist, the man who wandered in the wilderness and ate nothing but locust and honey and wore nothing but an animal skin, I believe it was, or else it was a, it was a goat's hair garment, very uncomfortable garment, the garment of mourning because all prophets are mourning for the people because they know that if the people don't repent, they will be destroyed. That man was the firstborn son of a high priest, which means John the Baptist was a high priest. 
priest. He was high priest of Israel when he was wandering around in the desert. The Pharisees put somebody else in charge because they were the religious hypocrites who didn't love God and didn't love his law. But John the Baptist was the real high priest. And that concludes Leviticus chapter 16.